liberty in Jesus. So if you will, go ahead and take out your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, and we're going to be in chapter 1 as we look at liberty in Jesus. Amen? So the title of the sermon today is A Precise Gospel. A Precise Gospel. So we're going to begin in verse 6 of Galatians 1. So when you found your place, if you will, please stand to your feet as we honor the Word of God, the ever-unchanging Word of God. And we're going to begin in verse 6. So Paul says this, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what we received, a curse be on him. Verse 10, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness. We're thankful that you have put us in a growing community, God, and you have presented us with the challenge of reaching as many lost souls as possible. And Lord, we're not okay with the status quo. We're not okay with just what's always happened. But Lord, we want to see you move mightily. We want you to stretch us. We want you to challenge us, God, as we seek to make an impact for your kingdom. God, today as we look at Galatians and we look at this wonderful letter written by Paul to those four churches in Galatia, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts about the gospel, the fact that it is a precise gospel. It is not a vague gospel. It is not a gospel that is a mystery, but it is a, an exact gospel that we can know, that we can know definitively, and God, a gospel that we can tell others in a way that changes lives. So God, today we lift this up to you in Jesus' name, amen. So my question for you guys is, how many of you have ever gone axe-throwing? Anybody? All right, so Justin, a few others, Chase, right? So it's fun, right? Because, you, you know, it, it really makes you feel like a man to hold an axe and to throw an axe. You know, there's really probably nothing more manly than that. Now, I've seen some ladies who can really throw an axe, too. How many of you ladies have done it? All right, how many of you ladies have hit the bullseye? See, the ladies are just as good at it as anybody, right? And that's kind of scary for you men, by the way. You know, if you've got a wife that can throw an axe, you better uh, watch your P's and your Q's, okay? But anyways, you know, there's a few places locally that you can throw axes. A lot of people kind of set up a target in their backyard. But axe throwing has rules. There's a target that you throw the axe at, and there's a bullseye on that target. And the objective in axe throwing is to hit the bullseye. You want to be accurate. You want to understand, okay, I have a place that I'm aiming for, and in order to win, I need to hit this specific place. So when you hit the bullseye, you know, it's like, man, I hit the target. I did a good job. And that's really the objective of the game, is to hit that bullseye. Well, today, as we think about axe throwing, we're going to try to compare that a little bit to what Paul is explaining to the churches of Galatia about the gospel. There's really two aspects of the gospel that Paul mentions here in this scripture in verses 6 through 10 that I just want us to think through. 
So that first aspect of the gospel is the one and only. So if you're taking notes, write that down, the one and only. The one and only is really mentioned in verses 6 through 9. The gospel is one and only one. So when we think back to throwing an axe, we're talking about um, you know, trying to hit a bullseye, trying to hit a target. So when you look at this target that you're trying to throw an axe at, or really any target if you're talking about throwing darts or, or anything else like that or even kicking a field goal, there aren't several different bullseyes that you can hit. So when you're throwing a dart or you're throwing an axe or when you're kicking a field goal in football, it's not like, hmm, do I want to hit that bullseye? Do I want to hit that bullseye? Or do I want to hit that bullseye? Do I want to kick it through that field goal or that field goal? No, there's only one bullseye. There's only one field goal. There's only one specific target that you need to hit in order to achieve the objective of the game. Well, here, beginning in verse 6, Paul begins to talk about the gospel as though there is only one gospel. Let's look here in verse 6 where Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Here the churches in Galatia were no longer holding to the gospel as the gospel of grace. They were no longer holding to the gospel that was preached to them by Paul and those who founded those churches in Galatia. They were no longer preaching the gospel that was preached by the Lord Jesus Christ when he talked about giving himself as a lamb for the sacrifice of sins. They were preaching a new gospel, a different gospel, a gospel that was really based upon works and self-achievement. And Paul is rebuking them for that. He's saying there's only one gospel. There's only one bullseye. There's only one target. There's not multiple ways to be saved. There's not different avenues that you can go to to be saved. There's only one. The one and the only, it is the gospel as presented in the Scripture. So when we think about that, we see in verse 6 that he talks again about the grace of Christ. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the introduction of Galatians, where Paul even says grace and peace be to you. He was saying it was a greeting, and he was wishing that God's grace and God's peace would be upon the people in, in Galatia. All right? So when we think about grace, we understand that grace is the essence of the gospel. Grace is what makes the gospel unique. Grace is not something that you can negotiate when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the cross of Christ. Um, we understand that grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. It's basically getting something of no merit of our own, not because we deserved it, not because we were smart enough, not because we worked for it, but grace is something freely bestowed upon us by the goodness of God. So when we think about a salvation and a gospel that is a gospel of grace, we realize that the benefits of the gospel do not come by what we do. My eternal life in heaven, my salvation, as we read from this present evil age, is not because of my goodness. It's not because of my obedience. It's not because that there is something good within me that I somehow reach and I somehow obtain. It is because, purely 100% because of the goodness of God. And here Paul is rebuking them for trying to distort the grace of God, the grace of the gospel, as he mentions in verse 6. By the grace of Christ, you are turning to a different gospel. All right? He's saying you are turning away from that grace and you're returning to something that you have created. 
In verse 7, he says this, Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel. Well, right there in verse 7, the Greek word translated pervert or distort is a word that means to turn about or change into an opposite character. When anyone tries to distort something or change something, they're trying to divert people from the true meaning of what it is. They're trying to divert people from what it was originally intended to be. That's why we look at the LGBTQ plus movement, and we understand that it is distorting the biblical definition of marriage. In other words, they are trying to redefine what marriage is. And we understand as Christians and as Bible believers that the objective truth of God's word does not change, that God's definition of marriage is the real definition of marriage, that God's definition of marriage is not negotiable, that God's definition of marriage is singular and exclusive, not to be changed or to be modified, only his way. See, if, if you make something, you get to determine how it's defined. If you create something, you get to define how it's used. See, God created marriage. Why are people trying to redefine something that God made? Why does the secular world care about marriage? Why does the secular world even want to be married? That's what I don't understand. Marriage is a Christian ideal. Marriage is created by God, so quit trying to redefine something that God made. And here is exactly what these people in Galatia were doing. We go on down and we see that the, the false gospel that was concocted in the minds of what was known as the Judaizers, and I'm going to talk a little bit about them in a minute, was disturbing and troubling for the Christians in Galatia. That's one thing about false teaching or distortions of truth. It always brings about confusion. And it always brings about a, a troubled spirit. Here in verse 7, we see that the, the Christians in Galatia were troubled. It says that there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Listen, anytime you go against the truth of God's word, it always brings about confusion and chaos. See, God ordered the universe as it is. You know, we were talking about that bullseye. You know, if it weren't for the bullseye and axe throwing, you wouldn't have axe throwing. Okay, because then you would just have somebody randomly chopping stuff up. Well, it's like, you know, what, what's the fun in that? You know, anybody can chop something up, right? But, but only certain people can hit the bullseye. There's an order to the game. There are rules and there are regulations to games that if you don't have the rules and the regulations, you have chaos. Because everybody then develops their own rules. And then you can't ever have an orderly game because no one plays by the same rules. And in the same way, we have to understand that God has an ordered way of doing things. And when we go against his ordered way, we produce chaos and we produce an environment that no one really wants to live in. And we're really seeing that in our society today as, as the world is pushing against God's boundaries. You're seeing crime at an all-time high. You're seeing gang activity at an all-time high. You're seeing um, mass shootings at an all-time high. You know, people want to blame that on guns, but you know, we really need to blame that on the mentality and the heart of the people. Why are people choosing to kill people? Why are people making that choice? Well, it's because we have a society full of chaos that has forsaken the bounds and the morals that God has given us and have exchanged God's truth for our own chaos. And when we embrace our own chaos, it brings about destruction and it brings about death. And Paul here is at, uh, at least uh, understanding and uh, kind of pointing out the fact that this lie that these people are telling about the gospel is troubling the people of Galatia. In verse 8, the Bible says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. Paul said that any 
preaching a gospel contrary to what was understood to be the true gospel was to be considered in the Greek in anathema. Anathema is the Greek word used in verse 8 that is translated accursed or a curse. And anathema means a man who is accursed and devoted to the direst of woes. In other words, someone who is an anathema or accursed is someone who is so toxic and so harmful to the things that are good that they are to be banished and they are to be removed from the church fellowship immediately. They are not to be played with. They are not to be, um, uh, you know, we're not to try to please them and let them spew their lies. We are to ban them from the congregation and the fellowship because of the harm that they are doing by troubling God's people by preaching another gospel. If y'all remember whenever we went through the book of Jude, Jude was really kind of encountering some of this same stuff. Because in Jude, he was talking about people who were coming into the church and they were changing the gospel, the grace of Christ, to allow for sexual immorality. This is what it says in Jude 4. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come by in stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. It's very similar. It's like, the same kind of people Paul was dealing with in Galatia, Jude is dealing with in the first century church. These same people who are seeking to distort the grace of Christ, to distort the gospel in order to benefit themselves and to indulge in their own sinful desires. Jude further said about these same people in verses 12 and 13. He said, these people are dangerous reefs at your love feast as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Very strong words for those who distort and pervert the gospel and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at these people in Galatia, they were preaching this works-based gospel. They were preaching a gospel that said, you have to do X, Y, Z to get to heaven. Not only do you trust Christ, but you are also going to have to be circumcised. You're also going to have to observe the rituals of Judaism plus Jesus. It was this gospel of grace plus something. And listen, anytime you add something to grace, you're creating more bullseyes. You're creating confusion. Anytime you add to grace, you have a completely different gospel. You say, but we still believe in Jesus. It's like the, the Catholics. We still believe in Jesus. We still believe that he died on the cross, but yet they'll tell you that you must partake of the sacraments. They'll tell you that you must partake in the Mass. You must confess to a priest. Um, those who are married, marriage is a sacrament. Those who are clergy, singleness is a sacrament. They, they say that you have to be christened, and then you also have to have your last rites read to you before you die. And they add all of these additional things to grace. And you know what it causes? A different gospel, a distorted gospel, a gospel that is no longer about the grace of Christ. It's like me sitting there throwing that axe, and I have this gospel of grace here with the bullseye, and then here's another bullseye. The, the gospel of works. And they're basically saying, well, listen, that's no good anymore. That's not the right one. Let's go with this one. You need to embrace this gospel. And we see that time and time again in many sects of Christianity. 
John chapter 14, verse 6, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The Bible says this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, those are all singular. And then you see this next sentence in this verse. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Very definitive wording. Not words that would leave you to wonder. Not a wording that says, well, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's an additional way to heaven. Maybe if I'm just good enough, maybe God will let me in that way. Maybe if I give enough to charity, maybe God will, you know, just honor the good that I've done. And when I get to heaven, he'll let me in because of that. My friends, that's lies. That is distorting the gospel of grace. That is creating a new bullseye. That's creating a new gospel. And the Bible teaches us that there is only one gospel. And the Bible says that those who preach a gospel contrary to the gospel of grace are accursed. They are an anathema. They are deadly and toxic and should be silenced. So that's the first thing that I want us to see about the gospel. That first aspect, it is the one and the only. It is singular. There are not multiple gospels. There is one gospel. But the second aspect that we see here in Paul's writing is that the gospel is set in stone. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Set in stone. And we're going to see that in verse 10. So if we keep using this axe stone example, we're going to see that when we look at the bullseye, when we look at the target, mid-game, the bullseye doesn't get larger, does it? Mid-game, the bullseye doesn't change colors. Mid-game, the rules don't change to where the bullseye is now the outer edge of the target as opposed to the center of the target. The rules are set in stone from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, or else you have no game. Well, in the same way, the gospel is set in stone in such a way that it cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. It cannot be viewed in a different way other than it is exclusively the only way, and it is exactly as it has always been, and it cannot be changed. Now, I remember a few years back when the staff here at Pole Creek, we went on a staff retreat, and Pastor Dennis isn't here to defend himself, and that's partly why I'm using this example. Um, so Chase and I, and Chase isn't here, but he can vouch for this. Chase and I played cornhole against Steve and Dennis. Now, don't ask Steve about this, because he'll tell you some big lie. But anyways, we were playing cornhole against each other, and we began playing the game, there had been no uh, definitive uh, uh, particulars about the game defined. It wasn't like, you know, well, you know, there's sometimes where you hit 21 and you break 21, you got to go back to 15. Nobody had said anything like that. Basically, we were just playing to 21, and who, who hit 21 and beyond first one? Well, the funny thing was that when we began to play the game, that Chase and I began to absolutely crush Dennis and Steve. And I mean, I knew it was going to happen. I mean, honestly... <laughs> You know, we began, you know, hit, hitting the hole, hitting the hole, hitting the hole over and over and over again. And then as Dennis saw that this was probably not going to go his way, he changed the rules. Because we hit 21 within like five minutes, and Dennis said, whoa, 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 you went over 21. He said, you got to go back to 15. And Chase and I looked at him, and he's like, hmm, I don't think we talked about that. So we kind of jokingly called that the preacher rules. They, they kind of change as the game goes, and that's kind of what we saw. And then we beat them again their way in the same game. So, you know, we kind of we made that uh, that way. But anyway, so, but like, again, don't ask Steve about that, okay? But it would be kind of like this. 
it, Georgia and Alabama are playing in the NCAA uh, football championship, right? And <laughs> Alabama, knowing they were going to lose, which we all knew they were too, decided that they would change the rules right there at the end. You know, like, well, a field goal only counts as one, not three, you know, because we really got to win this championship, you know. So they're changing the rules up mid-game, and it's like, wait a minute, you can't do that. That's not fair. That's chaos. That's like me in the, in the axe throwing. As I'm throwing, the bullseye gets smaller and smaller every time I throw the axe. It's like, wait a minute. What's going on here? It's altering. The objective and the, the place that I'm trying to hit the axe on is moving. Well, see, the gospel doesn't do that. When we think about, as I just said, the gospel is fundamentally unchangeable because it is so definite in its description and what it is. It is unchangeable because the essence of the gospel is unalterable. And the essence of the gospel is the grace of Christ. Listen, if you take one small drop of God's grace out of the gospel equation, you no longer have the gospel that we find in the Bible. When you say, Ben, okay, I'm okay if 99% of my salvation is because of Jesus, but can I just have 1% that says maybe I possibly deserved it? Can I maybe just have 1% that at least acknowledges my good works? My friend, if you have that mindset, you have completely changed the gospel of grace into a gospel of works. And we cannot do that today. We see it in Catholicism. We see it in Jehovah's Witnesses. We see it in Mormons. We see it over and over and over again where all three of those people will say, Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Indeed, Jesus died for the sins of the world. All three of those uh, groups will say that indeed. But each one has something that they want to add on to it. Each one says that plus you've got to be a member of the Mormon church. That plus you've got to be a part of the 144,000. That plus you've got to be this. Plus you've got to be that. Plus, listen, if you're going to tell me a gospel and you're going to say the word plus or you're going to say in addition to, you are no longer preaching the gospel of God's word. You are preaching a gospel that is contrary to the gospel of grace. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, the Bible says this, But the gift, the gift, talking about salvation, is not like the trespass, which is the sin. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, talking about Adam, how much more have the grace of God and the gift, which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many, and the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. If by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Did you hear right there the term gift used over and over and over again there in Romans? Listen, a gift is when something is given without any expectation of anything in return. See, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he didn't die for us so that we could do something for him. He didn't die for us because he needed us for anything. He died for us simply out of his abundant grace and his love for us. See, true love is unconditional. True love is saying, I love someone regardless of what they can do for me. I love someone regardless of what 
they do to hurt me. I love someone no matter what. My love is unconditional. It is not based upon their merit and what they can do in exchange in this relationship. Unconditional love is purely I love the person because I love them. And see, that's the kind of love that God has for us. He saves the vilest of sinners. He washes the most dirty, white as snow. I know from experience because I'm one of those that he washed whiter than snow. That even though all of my transgressions and my sin and my wickedness that had piled up in my life that had been an outcry against God's holiness, he washed me whiter than snow. Well, Ben, that's because you were going to be a preacher one day. That ain't got nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. Listen, he saved me because of his grace. That is biblical salvation. So as we think about the grace of God, I want you as an individual to think about his grace in your life. And then what I want you to do is I want you to compel, be compelled by that grace that you've seen in your life to go and tell others about this gospel. Not a vague gospel, not a gospel that has been contrived in the hearts of man. Because did you hear right there in verse 10 what Paul said? Paul said, for I'm now trying to persuade people or God. He's saying, listen, who am I trying to persuade? All right, it's a rhetorical question. Or am I striving to please people? Here it is. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know why we preach the gospel? Not because it's accepted in society, because it's not. You, you know why we preach a singular gospel, the one and only, the one that's set in stone? It's not because it gives everybody the warm and fuzzies inside when they hear they're a sinner. It has nothing to do with it. The reason that we preach the gospel is because it is the gospel of grace, it is definitive, it is precise, and it is the only true gospel. We preach the gospel because we've experienced the love that God had for us in bestowing eternal life to us so that we want others to feel and see that same thing. Let's bow our heads this morning as we pray.